Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, this is William Easton, your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success. Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website at richmondbizlive.com and download your program schedule. You'll find it in the resources section. One hour of information, techniques, and tools that you can use to achieve your dream. Clear your calendar for the most important hour in your week. And it is January 2nd, Friday, 12.06 here in beautiful Richmond. A little chilly today. This is Bill Eastman, your host for Richmond Biz Live. I'm the managing partner for the Growth Works, a small business fast growth company uh, based upon the practices of uh, that we've identified over the last 15, 20 years of business. And I'm also executive producer of Richmond Biz Live, this show. And um, I'm your host for the number one business talk show in Richmond. Uh, we broadcast live from the studios of WLE News Talk 990 every Friday at 12.06. Okay, so now if you're an ongoing listener, you know they're finally... And you've been listening, so you've been hearing this. There's finally a resource for you, a business owner and an executive of small businesses or private enterprises to realize their dream of making the business pay off for the year's investment and personal sacrifice. I can't tell you how much I gave up to build the companies that I built. And if you're going to do that and you're going to make that sacrifice, then uh, they had best pay off. And in my experience on six startups, I've had two that have been very successful two that bombed in basically took most of my money and two that have been kind of in, in between. And I think the in between ones are almost worse because when do you cut or when do you, uh, you know, cut on it, go, let's move on. Or what else do I need to do to this? So if you're there, if you're, if you're a serial entrepreneur, you're somebody who's been investing in the business, this is where you need to be because what we do is we share years of practical experience on how to grow from nothing um, into a market player, a market leader, maybe even gaining um, market sh uh, market dominance. In other words, you're the top dog in your business in your region. Um, our approach is to provide you with inexpensive tools. Um, everything that we cover on the show is backed up by what's on the website and all of it are proven tools that we've used. And um, we do that to take advantage of your strengths so that you can finance your growth from sales. Instead of looking to get capital investment, instead of looking to get loans, um, the growth strategies that we talk about on this show are all designed to do one thing, you, things that you can do, things that you can afford. Um, the team here at Richmond Biz Live are all recognized thought leaders, uh, whether that's locally, nationally, or internationally in their fields. And some of the areas that we cover in a typical month or season on this show is finance, branding, strategy, marketing, sales, productivity, technology, and people. Okay. Everyone is, by the way, uh, is a successful and has been a successful business owner. And what they're doing is they're giving you their shortcuts. Basically, if there was such thing as an MBA of fast growth, um, you know, I don't know university could offer it, but if somehow you could get it uh, by listening to the show, uh, whether you do it live or you download some of our podcast, 
um, you will get that MBA on how to grow their business. So be here every Friday at 12.06. Make this the most significant 54 minutes in your week. This is the ultimate power lunch. And how do you make it more significant? Well, you got three choices. Well, number one is let's start with the website, richmondbizlive.com. And there you'll see three buttons right on the front homepage. One is watch. If you click that, then what will happen is it will take you right to our live feed, and you'll be able to watch and listen to this from the studio. You can click the listen button, um, and it's an alternative to listen to the broadcast live is that you can stream this over the web. So at any time, you can do it. And again, the reason that we pick 12 o'clock on a Friday, what a great time to have a power lunch to think about what you've done this week and get prepared for next week. Or if we look at today as the second day of the new year and it's a Friday, I don't know what you've been doing all week, but all week I've been talking, I've been working on what am I going to do in 2015? And of course, the third way you can do that is to join. Uh, we designed this in such a way is that we always have time for callers and you can join the conversation at 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483 or even easier to remember 844-BIZ-LIVE. Okay. If it's time for the business to pay you back, then be here every Friday at 12.06 to watch, listen, and join in the conversation. All right, so that we kind of laid that out, and I always look forward to the first show of a new season because what that gives you the ability to do is both talk about what has happened and talk about what's coming up, and in our particular case, do that within the context of how it fits together. So this, today starts show four. Uh, each one of our shows run one business quarter, uh, 13 weeks. We are in the fourth season, which means we started last April. And let me qu quickly do a few things. One is I'm going to break today's show into four segments. I'm going to do a summary of segment of season one, a summary of season two, and I'm going to direct you to the website to where you can find the information, and a summary of the past season that we finished last Friday. And then I'm going to finish up giving you an idea of where we're going in season four, and it's going to be quite uh, it's going to be quite different and quite out of the box. But before I start, what's at the core of everything we do? What is really the, the, the issue here that this show is addressing? Other than looking for helping you look for your payback, and that's this. Uh, it's based on research. And one of the things that I have the advantage of is that I spent a number of years as a marine scientist, and I was a researcher. And so I like reading research, and I like doing it. Now, nowadays, it's a whole lot different than what I did then. It's now what, it's what we call meta research, and meta research is I read everybody else's stuff and try, number one, to try to distill out whether it's any good, and two, if it's any good, is there anything we can learn from it and then bring that forth and build some tools around it? And that's really the essence of what our company is, and that's the essence of the show. And so one of the things that I've been on to, which is a partnership that we created um, back when we opened up our shop in 2007, our office in Kansas City, was a relationship with the Kauffman Foundation and their work with the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the SBA with this concept of high-impact firms. And high-impact firms are 5% of those small businesses that every community wants to lure into their kind of web. For example, a lot of talk, in fact, two weeks ago when Jack and I were together on, on his show, we talked about why did Richmond pursue Stone Brewing? Well, Stone Brewing is one of those 5% small businesses. Now, when I talk about small businesses, I'm talking about really any company that is $50 million or less in revenue and any company that's 500 or less in employees. And what's interesting about these um, is that these high-impact firms, why are they so desirable uh, from a community standpoint? And that is they account 
for ninety over 99% of all the new jobs. If you look at the new jobs that are created in any economy, at least in the, in the American economy, is it's all started by smaller businesses. Large corporations don't add and typically don't lay off. They outsource. They make decisions about what they're going to do in-house. They make decisions about what they're going to do out-house. Um, if they'll outsource in the U.S., if the labor market's not too bad, if the market is really, or, or the economy is not too bad, if the economy is really bad, then we'll outsource overseas because they really need the cost reduction. And so what you got here is that these companies all create the jobs. As a matter of fact, interesting tidbit of information is that those companies that are in the 1 to 19 employee range have created 95, 94% of all the jobs from 1994 to 2008. And the only reason I don't have later data is because uh, nobody has done the study since. I do know that business formation is down, so we can suspect that if you want to know where those lost jobs are, even though that we are currently reporting a now a jobless rate of below 5%, the reality of that is when you take, and that's the wrong number, that only takes about people who are, who are, uh, who are not looking, uh, who are not taking unemployment in be uh, benefits. Though the reality is, is that a lot of people have just left w working. They're not even looking for it anymore. Is that there's about 10 million jobs missing the U.S. economy. Where is it? It's from the lack of small business startups. But 94% of all the jobs are created in companies between 1 and 19. That means the remaining companies, that the, the, the companies with 20 to 500 employees, only account for another 5%. And that is remarkable. And that's why communities like Richmond go out there and pursue these high-impact firms. Now, that's all really good to know. But what does that mean to you as the business owner? Well, I would think that one of the things that you would want to ask yourself is, gee, how do I get into that club? How do I become one of those high-impact firms? Not necessarily because um, that now suddenly I'm going to get enticed and I'm going to get a break on my taxes, et cetera, et cetera. If those things happen, that's all fine and good. But the deal here is that we're talking about the elite of the elite. We're talking about the 5% out of the 100% who are making a substantial difference. In fact, they are market dominators. And so what does that say for the rest of us, everybody else out there? And so what we did is we took that research that Kaufman did with the government and we took it a step further and we drilled down on their numbers and we developed what we call the 51580 model. Uh, I've already talked about the high impact firms, the 5%. Now the 15% of those firms are those companies that are doing okay financially. In other words, they're, 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 they're at break even, they're making money. But the pressing question within that company now is what's next? Where do we take this thing? If, especially if we want to become market uh, leaders or niche leaders, what do we do now? And so the 15% have a totally different set of issues that the owners and the management and the executive team try to solve. And then, of course, if you do your math, that leaves with the 80%. It's interesting. Pareto's principle seems to apply here. Only what we did is we took the 20% and sliced and diced it. Then there's the 80% of those businesses that are just finding some way to stay in business and to get themselves to some sort of stable break-even. And so... All small businesses fall into one of those three categories. And in fact, we've got a link on our website at richmondbizlive.com. Um, right there at the top, you'll see a banner that says, where are you? If you click that, that'll give you a chance to take a survey that we put together to try to address, where are you? Are you the 5%, the 15 or the 80? Now, we can't tell you exactly where you are because I'm not asking you for any financial information. But by the answers, if they're truthful, I can give you a good sense of which group you're probably in. And it's a great place to start because you can't move forward 
if you don't have a starting point. And so what we did then is we took our seasons and we broke them down. So, for example, season one, which we started in April, um, was all about the 80% what do you got to do to break even. So there were three major issues here. And by the way, I'll have this up on the website um, within about two or three hours at the end of the day today because I'm feeling very ambitious this week to get 2015 started off correctly is that there are three critical elements. How do I, how do I get there? One is I've got to achieve some level of operational efficiency. Number two, I've got to distinctify my offer. And number three, I got to professionalize the leadership and management in my firm. All right. So let's, let's hit those. Okay. Operational efficient efficiency is this, and I'll give you the six steps to do it. I'll have it up there. I'm going to do these fairly quickly. One is I got to create a lean mindset within the business. And a lean mindset is a mindset around a particular type and fashion for quality. Number two is I got to map the system. What I have to draw is a picture of the as is. And what is the system? Everything that we use to produce things that people are buying from us. Or if I'm in a service business, um, how do I put those services together and deliver them? Um, doesn't matter if it's a process or a service. The deal is let me map out what we're currently doing. Okay. Then what I, once I've got that, I think it, the next step is pretty obvious is that what should it be? And if I know the lean principles and I know what type, where the seven sources of waste are and the things I need to do, then how do I build a process that is more efficient, more lean? And basically it's about lower cost and speed. If I can do it with fewer steps, get it done faster with a, with a lower cost, then what I can do is I can achieve, um, the lowest cost denominator, I mean, the lowest cost producer. And that's where we are next is that the, uh, the number step number five is to become the lowest cost producer in my market. doesn't mean I'm the lowest price. That means I simply make it for less than everybody else. And what I want to do is I want to build a set of metrics that capture that picture. Uh, cause typically we don't do that. We, we use the old metrics and we got a new process and what we wind up doing is we're measuring the past. And then finally, what I want to shoot for is I want to say to myself, what can we really do around here? We ran this place at 95% capacity. Uh, just how much could we do? And again, it's products produced, services delivered. Number two, the second one is to distinctify the, off, uh, the offer. How do I make it somehow unique in the customer's eyes without doing a radical change of the product or radical change of the service? Okay. So as part of the lean process, we always bring in customer feedback. So number one is get the voice of the customer inside. Number two is they know what obvious defects there is in what we're doing. Find out what those are and fix them. Make them go away pretty quickly. And I say perceived quality because you've got two types of quality. You've got process quality, which you're trying to achieve in the first one, which is how well we're doing inside. Then you've got the quality as perceived by the customer. And it could be there's nothing wrong with the product, but there's something wrong with how we deliver it, how we package it, et cetera. And then number three is that based upon that feedback that they're given us, what can we do to make our products and services just unique enough that when the customers think of this, think of us, they don't think of us in the same context. They think of everybody else. This is different than what we talked about last season uh, making, about making the, uh, coming up with some radical new offer. And then finally, professionalized leadership and management and leadership's job is to creating a compelling uh, picture of the future. How do I do something that kind of pulls people to where we want to take the company? And on the other side, management is how do I build a system where I have a daily focus on the metrics and on the trends? And so that way, 
what we're doing is we're measuring how lean we've become. We're looking at, are we pushing the trends in the right direction? And if I can do the, the just those two things with the people who are leadership and management positions, I'm going to be a long way down the road to becoming now I'm breaking even all the time. And the second I'm breaking even all the time, now I'm ready to think of myself as, okay, now I'm in the 15% category. Uh, what do I need to do in order to break through? So with that, this is richmondbizlive.com, 844-249-5483, and we'll be back. Hello, this is William Easton, your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success, Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website, richmondbizlive.com download your program schedule. You'll find it in the resources section. One hour of information, techniques, and tools that you can use to achieve your dream. Clear your calendar for the most important hour in your week. Hello, this is William Eastman, your host for Richmond Biz Live on WLEE 990 AM. You know, when I prepare for my segment, Owner as Executive, I am acutely aware that this is the number one obstacle to business growth. So why don't you make an appointment with me to help you grow with your business? It will be the best 10 minutes of your week. And we're back. This is Bill Eastman, your host for Richmond Biz Live. 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483. And... You want to find out about where your company stands. Are you the 5% of the elite? Are you in the 15% struggling to figure out where the next big move is? Uh, I shouldn't say struggling. You're in pretty good shape. You're just trying to figure it out. Or are you in the 80% where you are struggling to get to break even and maintain that over a period of time. So in the first segment, what we did is we took season one, which was all about the 80%er and how do you get there? Now understand that everything we do builds upon the other. So I'm going to cover three areas, three critical elements of what do the 15% do with the assumption that you did the other three. Because if you didn't, one, I question whether you're really in the 15%. You could be lucky, luck of the zip code, good location, et cetera. But you've got some work to do because these next three are not going to pay off as much. So those three now critical elements for the 15%ers. And again, what's the 15%? Well, those are the companies that are doing well enough that they've got money left over, and the best way to say it, are you a 15%er? Is your cash flow sufficient and predictable? Let me do sufficient. You can pay all of your bills on time, including yourself. And predictable is that's true in January. That's true in February. That's true in March. Now, the criticality here is that if I know it's predictable and I have enough, then I can budget my expenditures Uh, because one of the things two weeks ago that Jack Gravely and I talked about on his show was the need for marketing and why a lot of companies don't market. Well, they don't market, not because they don't see the need to market, but because their cash flow is uncertain and they're going, I don't think I can afford that spend in March. If you know your cash flow is predictable, then what you know is that I can dedicate some dollars, get a new product ready to go, put together a marketing campaign and come, in our case, January 5th, hit the ground running because I know I can finance it for a couple months. So if those things are true, if you have cash flow that is sufficient and it's predictable, 
Now you're in the 15% who are saying, okay, I, how do I get to the top of the market? Or a different way of looking at it is how do I maximize what my company is worth, which is another way of looking at the 15%. So three things, market positioning, aggressive marketing and selling, and maintaining 95% productive capacity. So market positioning, what, what do we mean here? Well, as Mike uh, Carroll and Pat, uh, Patrick Carroll and Ben Meredith and I have talked about over the vast weeks uh, that uh, Focus Business and Sandler and Ben Meredith Consulting have been on the show, is that number one is market penetration is of the accounts we should have, the target accounts, our sweet spot in the marketplace. Let's look at it two way. One is how many of those do we have? So let's say that you sell a particular product that only is used by HVAC companies. And there are 20 HVAC companies in the greater Richmond area. How many of those companies are you in? That's the first part of the question. If you're not in all of them, why not? Number two is of the ones you're in, what percentage of your their budget do you have? In other words, if they could spend 70% of their budget with you because you provide all that and they don't, they only spend half of that and the other half's going to a competitor, why is that? So the first question here is market penetration in terms of you have identified a sweet spot, you know who the key customer is, how many of the accounts you should have do you have, and then in the accounts you have, how deep does that go? How much of their spend are you getting? And you want to get close to 100%. Number two on this one now is the issue of the adjacent markets. Once I've satisfied myself here, the greatest growth potential is now to get to, is to get to other customers. So what does HVAC have in common with other types of companies? Well, could be, and I'm off the top of my head right now, of course, nothing's ever off the top of my head, but I'm thinking, well, maybe a plumbing company. Maybe our products and services fits plumbing very well, or it fits any trades where they're coming into somebody's home. In other words, what are the adjacent markets where the customer is not radically different? And my offer is not the type of offer that is going to require a lot of education. They're going to get it either, either got it soon as I start talking about it or quickly into the conversation to get it. And so what do I have in adjacent markets? If I do those two things, I can probably double my client base and my sales potential. Okay. Number three, critical thing that Mike Carroll at Sandler and I hammered on for probably five, six weeks over the last year. And that is make the sales force your core of your field intelligence. Nobody, but nobody knows more about how the customer uses your products and services, what your competitors are offering, how the market or the economy is affecting your key accounts than your sales force. Bring your sales force into this because I'm sure that they understand what it's going to take to get more of the spend of your current accounts? What is it going to take to get into the accounts that you don't have, that you should? And what are the adjacent markets? Because I'm sure they've thought about it as they drove by that building going, why haven't we stopped in there? That's where I would go to get that information. So now I have an understanding of where I'm going to target my marketing campaign. Then number two is aggressive marketing and selling. And under aggressive marketing and selling is that I got to understand is that it's going to take about 15 touches in order to get somebody in a position where they're disposed to buy from me. And so what is my multi-channel marketing campaign that's going to require about 15 different touches over a designated period of time? What does that look like? And so with social media, 
with direct mail, with phone calls, um, do maybe something you're doing on the web with uh, search optimization. But in other words, you got to say to yourself, the people that I want to buy, I have to touch them about 15 times before I've really got a position where I can bring them into the sales process with a high probability of being successful. And the big, the biggest thing that's happened, I would say in the last five years, and social media has been a, an integral part of this is that it used to be that the customer had to come to you or you had to go to them and then you sent them a brochure and they knew some, what they knew about you is what you sent them. Nowadays, they do all of that investigation prior to ever touching you. So they know everything about you. So your content marketing, what is on your website, what is on your social media sites and what you are tweeting about or what you are putting up on your wall, if you're talk, we're talking Facebook, all those things are critical because that's going to form their opinion. If they're going to reach out to you, that's going to drive them. Or if you're going to reach out to them, what you want them to go is, I saw that and I like it. And so I got to look at all those different touches and I actually think it's a better situation today than it was five or 10 years ago. Uh, the second part of this is that I need to look at the number of people I've got in my sales department and say to myself, can I grow 25% this year with the sales force I have. Now, I'm talking about bodies now, not talent. I'm going to get to that one next. But do I have enough salespeople to cover all the areas that we want to go after and increase sales by 25%? Because the next part of this is then, instead of assuming whether or not they've got the skills, I'm going to say to myself, I'm going to engage before we start in training to bring the skill set of this sales force up to speed. I've invested all this money in my productive capacity, in my ability to deliver 25% more, then I better make sure that I've got the ability to sell 25% more. And that's where organizations like Mike Carroll make the most sense because it's a mix. You're going to do a lot of product, a lot of training about the clients, which is not necessarily in the sales arena, that they need to know about your product and how it can, and how it looks against other clients. And then you've got the raw sales skills that people like Mike does at Sandler that will show you then how to take advantage of that knowledge that you have built. And then finally, take a look at if you want this sales group, these people you brought in, some mixture of the new and the old, and you've trained them on a particular way you want to sell, have you cha changed the sales compensation package to fit the new behaviors? Because I will tell you, this nothing's more truer than this. All sales comp plans work. You just don't like what you get. Because a bad design a sales plan, um, they'll do those behaviors, and then you're not getting the results, and you're scratching your head. Don't blame them. Um, take a look inside. And I'll just give you an example of, uh, of two ways of looking at it. One is, do I reward activity, or, or do I reward results? If I re reward results, do I pay them on top line? Or do I pay them on bottom line? Well, if I'm uh, if I'm looking at aggressive growth, let me give you a couple thoughts. Not necessarily copy it, but think about it. One is, I would make part of my sales compensation um, activity. If I know it takes 15 touches, so I've decided that we've between social media, direct mail, and phone calls, this is how we're going to do 15 touches. I'm going to pay you to do 15 touches, and if you don't do the 15 touches, you're not going to get paid. Now. What I'm assuming is those touches are going to work, but in this particular case, that would make some sense. If I'm looking, for, if I'm not looking for a growth spurt, 
I probably wouldn't do this. But if I'm looking to really grow sales, I've got to get more into the system. I'm going to reward you for doing activities. Now, let's take the same scenario. Uh, do I reward bottom line or top line? I think in this case, as I'm trying to get sales growth, I'm going to reward top line. Now, I understand the danger here is that if I reward top line, then salespeople don't give a damn, if I can say that on the radio, about whether or not any of these accounts are profitable. But right now, I don't care about that. What I want is I want these people in. So I would probably pay mostly for top line. And so between activity and top line, that sales comp plan might be the right comp plan for six months. And then suddenly I've got what I'm looking for. I'm going to change this comp plan a little bit. And now I'm going to be taking a look for look at getting better business. So I'm going to start rewarding more and more on the margins that are in the business. But that's just an example. But it's all sales comp plans work. And if you're going to do this, you've got to take a look at what you're currently doing and saying, I got to change it to fit what I'm asking for. And then the last one on maintaining the productive capacity is that you brought, you brought the plant up or, and again, I, I'm talking production there, but if you're talking about it from a service side, I have, by mapping my systems out and going from an as is, is what we call the existing state to the 2B, which is the future. And we've done that and we've leaned up and we've taken out steps, et cetera, et cetera. What we've now identified is what our 95% capacity is. Now what I have to do is I have to, I have to maintain that. And so what you would do here internally, we've been talking about Salesforce, let's go inside, is on the inside, I'm going to challenge everybody who is involved in providing services or building products on how or where can they give me a 15% increase in, in productivity, where and how can they give me a 15% reduction in cost. And my theme during this growth spurt is 15%. Either give it to me in productivity or give it to me in reduced cost. The other thing I'm going to do is that now this is more production than it is in service, but if I make anything, I'm going to ruthlessly maintain my preventive maintenance schedule because the one thing I cannot survive in this high growth spurt is anything going down and now suddenly I can't make it. Nothing will kill your reputation and your cash flow faster than making promises and sales that you can't fulfill in production. This will just absolutely take you out of the business. You've wasted all that money. And then finally, just like I did for Salesforce, I'm going to look for a pay for performance. So I'm going to look for a way of incentivizing people to give me the productivity increases and to give me the 15% reduction in cost. If you do those things, then what will happen is that you will make the moves necessary to break through in the business. And suddenly there you are, you're joined the 5% of those companies that are at the elite status. And what does that look like? Well, leading the breakout last season. And last season, we kind of did this differently. We split it into, into two segments. Segment number one was the issue of, okay, you get to the top and you say, hey, that was fun. I want to do it again. Or you know what? I do want to sell the business, but it's not quite worth enough yet. That's one decision. That was one track we ran last season. The other track we ran last season was, okay, now I've had enough. I want to get my money out of here and I want to move on. And so what I'm looking to do is I'm looking to sell the business. And so that is where my focus is in terms of what to do next. So let me take the first decision about reinventing the business. And the decision about reinventing the business is basically I had three things I needed to do. One is maximize my profits and minimize my cost. So what I want to do is I want to go back and visit my current process. And if we talked to you, go back to season one, we said, 
get a picture of the as is and create a new to be that is designed in the principles of lean. And you've been using that all through the 15% stage. Now what I'm going to do is say that old system is now the as is. Let's go back and let's look at the to be and let's see if we cannot get more cost out of it because things have changed about the market. Things have changed about our customers. Things have changed about sales. I will guarantee you there is still much to be had. It may be a little bit more difficult to get on the second and third iteration, but it's going to be there. Okay. And again, what you want to do is you want to challenge people to find a 15% increase in productivity, or you want to um, incentivize people to challenge them to find the 15% reduction in cost. Next thing you're going to do is you're going to look at basically overhauling all of your policies and procedures. And policies and procedures would be, do they now fit the current state, specifically focused in on position descriptions, um, what you're doing in terms of giving people evaluations, and how you're looking at salary and pay for performance. And so what I want to do, the whole goal here is, how do I run a leaner organization which has greater profitability? Now, if I'm looking to sell it, makes perfect sense. However, if I'm going to grow the company, I'm going to reinvent it, where is those funds going to come from? They're going to come out of retained earnings, and that's what I'm doing right now. I'm putting as much money in retained earnings as I possibly can. The second thing is identify where the future competitive advantage is. So now what I want to do is I want to take advantage of what we've done in the past um, with the sales force, and I had them involved in that 15% or about where to go in the market. Now what I'm thinking about is not moving into an adjacent market. Now I'm thinking about either one, taking the customers now we currently have, and do I build them new things from what I've learned, or do I go out and I take um, my current offer to brand new customers that are not close to my sweet spot? Now, I'll tell you what most of us do. Mo what most of us do is that we look at our current accounts and say, if we did X, Y, and Z, they'd buy it. And X, Y, and Z is not close to what our current offer is. And my, my guess is this is probably where you're going to head because it's, it's a little bit cheaper to do, a little, and it's a little less risk. And it'll hit my next point, and that is number three, if what I'm doing to reinvent my company is that at this point on, I got to stop development on spec. In other words, I'm not going to build a new product or build a new service based upon what we think. I'm going to build it based upon what the customer thinks. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get that client. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to find those clients that are willing to work with me to develop the new product. And what you'll find is a lot of the top companies, one of the things that they do is that they have the ability to get the clients on board and they co-develop the product and service with the client. And so you've done two things. One, you've reduced your cost. Two, you have minimized your risk because when this thing is built, whatever it is that you're going to offer, and guess what? You've got some place to currently sell it. And then what the challenge then becomes is that how do you then generalize that out to a greater mass of people, which is something we'll talk about here in season four. And so I want to not only do that with customers, I want to do that with, um, uh, with my suppliers as well. Um, and then the last part of this was putting together a team that if I'm looking to sell the business, how do I assemble a team of people outside experts who are going to give me the advice and who are going to represent me in the process for doing that? And when we come back, I'll hit on a couple of those and I'll get into season four. This is Richmond Biz Live, and we'll be right back.
Hello, I'm William Eastman. You know me as the executive producer of Richmond Biz Live. In my other role as managing partner of the Growth Works, I spend time helping business owners get their companies on track and paying them back for years of investment and sacrifice. However, before I can make the necessary changes, you must answer the following question. Where are you? In our research, we have identified three types of small business, 80% that are just getting by, 15% who are doing okay but wondering what's next, and then there's the 5% who dominate a market or a niche, and what they're wondering is, how do I break out? So I pose the question to you, where are you? If you want to understand this question and the significance of the answer better, go to our membership site, growthworks.net, and download our paper on where are you. Learn how to move from the 80% to the 15 and from the 15 to the 5%. This level of success and profitability is within your reach. Gain the advantage over your competitors by downloading it today. And this is Bill Eastman, and it's Richmond Biz Live, executive producer of today's radio show. And now what we're doing is we're going to close up uh, what we did with season three, which ended last week, and talking about the selling part of that. And then basically what we did there is we said, understand your motivation for buying and selling a business. Key to this is what are you really trying to do? Is this an issue of you're going to buy something as a, if you're in the buying mode, is this a lifestyle issue and it's a job? or you're really going to grow it into something. If you're selling the business, what's your motivation? Because as Rick uh, uh, Grossberg talked a lot about, is after he sold his business, he felt bad because he was like, I wish now I didn't sell it because he didn't have a reason to get up in the morning and go to work. Then the next stage of this is building your deal team, getting those experts together, assembling them so that you get the type of advice that you typically can't get. And you would do it for a house. Why wouldn't you do it for your business? And in fact, you need more experts. Then from there, we talked about how to value the business uh, in terms of how do we really determine what the value of the business is. And we talked a lot about the different valuation techniques. But the bottom line of that was if you're looking to value the business and you're going to sell it, I would recommend at least a year or two in advance, have somebody come in and value it and begin to work on it then. If the first time you've ever valued the business is when you're getting ready to sell it, I think you're going to be sorry. You're going to be very disappointed. That's been my experience with business owners. And then what we did is we talk about um, putting together a market package, just like a marketing package, just like you would stage a house to have somebody buy it. You have a marketing package that is basically talking about the business and its high points and appealing to the people that you are trying to, um, you are trying to sell to. And then the issue, the final issue is um, on negotiation is that how do I negotiate this final deal? And do I stay in the business for a period of time? Do I totally get out of it? Do I sell it, but finance part of it, et cetera, in terms of what, what is it that I want from this? And part of that is probably one, what's your motivation to sell and two is how much money do you need immediately? So those are the things we covered. And if you go to, if you go to season three, if you go to richmondbizlive.com, click shows and you click shows what you'll find, um, season one and everything you want to know about season one is right there where you got, you can download the podcast or you can listen to it live. You've got the segment and you got the topic, the same as with season two and season three and season four will be up this weekend as we begin to flesh out the remaining details. So that gets me to season four. Now season four is a real, was a real dilemma for us. Because first three seasons, slam dunk. We did the research, the 518 
550 80, 80 model works. And so it made sense because um, if you're a listener, you are, unless you have not started your company, you're not in business, you were one of the three. Now what? Now the question is, is what do we do? Do we go back and cover some of those things or do we get ourselves out of the box? So se segment season four, um, right now today, I don't know what I'm going to call it when I put it on the website, is called Rethinking Everything. Rethink Everything is really what season four is going to be about. Because what I want to do is I want to challenge all of the business owners, all of you in management, in a small business. And again, I'm talking about companies at 50 million or smaller, uh, 500 employees or smaller. But for that matter, you could be a billion dollar firm if you're listening to this because the same rules apply to you, except you have bodies hanging around to help you out. If you're a, if you are, a, a, let me see here, a $10 million manufacturing company in Southwest Virginia with 85 employees, there aren't any bodies hanging around to give you some help. So this is kind of on the owner. So I, I took this a vastly different way. And one of the books that I had been a, a real fan of over the years was something that was written in the fifties by Thomas Kuhn called the, um, Oh, uh, the, the philosophy of science and what it was really about was about paradigm shifts. And now what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, it's going to be obvious in a second is that one of the things that he talked about was that how the, 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 the view of everybody, including the church, um, up until about the 17th century or 16th century was that the, the, the heavens evolved around the earth. They revolved around it. So the earth was the center of the universe. And all the data suggested that. So not only was that kind of a religious view, um, you could see the church going there because that made some sense in church logic, but also is that um, scientists were there. And you could say some of them were compelled by the church, true, but a lot of them weren't. And then what happened was that Galileo, when the telescopes got strong enough to really look into space, Galileo started seeing things that didn't fit. Now, we all know about that conflict, and I don't have to go into do a history lesson, but the deal here was that our paradigm was that the Earth was the center of the universe. Therefore, when we looked at the data, that's what was verified. When Galileo looked out there and said, no, 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 the planets revolve around the Earth, around the sun, and the sun is part of a larger constellation, and it rotates around something else, suddenly all the data fit. And so the revolution that happens in science is that when we attack the prevailing paradigm, well, that prevailing paradigm is what I want to attack now with business owners. So using my background in physics from my days in the marine sciences, I said, well, you know what, what are the things we got to consider here? So I went through the four. So play with me here for a second. One is location. You know, where, 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 where is it located? Where is this particle of matter located? Number two is time frame. What's the time frame that I'm going to take a look at? Number three is what is the composition itself of the matter of matter? And number four, what is velocity? Now that may sound kind of esoteric for a business person, but it really isn't because if you look at the radical companies, and there was a book written about 15 years ago um, called Blue Ocean Strategy. And Blue Ocean Strategy was getting at this. It, it, its hypothesis of the book, which was true, is that there are two types of oceans that companies compete in. One is a, a red ocean, and a red ocean is an ocean that's filled with competitors. And it has an existing paradigm, and that you have to, if you're going to win, you have to get in the water with all those sharks, 
and you have to beat them at the paradigm. Blue Ocean, on the other hand, is the, is the revolutionary companies found fresh water that nobody was in, and they found it not necessarily because they found a new ocean, but they found it because they, they had a new way of looking at their particular product or service, and it so radically changed things. So let me give you some examples of what I mean. Let's take, um, let's take the, uh, the issue of, of matter just for an example. Look at, look at what Apple has done with the phone. I mean, every phone has the same components in it. It's, the, it's made up of the same pieces, the same matter, and yet there's something about what Apple has done in their product development around the phone that has made it exceptional. Now, you can make the case that Samsung has caught up, and I would be one of those people, but I, it, you know, I, you know, basically when they produced the first iPhone, they kind of redefined the market because I had a lot of PDAs, I had a lot of smartphones, and then Apple kind of changed the game. Why? Because they thought about how they constructed matter and they thought about it differently. Or let's take um, location. Look at what Amazon has done to location. It used to be that if you were going to be successful in the retail business, you had to have a good location. Otherwise, it had to be a destination. In other words, a lot of advertising to make people want to go there. But you had to have a good location that people could come in and look at stuff. And, and with Amazon, Amazon has made location a non-issue because you all you have to do is get online to look at what they have to offer. And then all you have to do to get it delivered to your house is to click, yes, I'll buy it. And if there's enough money in your account, it shows up within one to three days. Um, if you take a look at time, let's take a look at FedEx. Federal Express changed the whole nature of time in business. I remember back before FedEx, we would put in contracts to people, and if the contract was due on Friday, sometime late Monday, maybe Tuesday, we'd risk it, we'd send it by U.S. mail. And you would be sweating whether or not it got delivered on time. What did FedEx do? If it was due Friday morning or Thursday night, as long as I was at the airport before the FedEx desk closed, I could drop that thing off and it could get there. So what FedEx did is it changed the nature of time for businesses. Um, the issue of speed. Now, this is one that you may not be familiar with, but I would recommend you do a Google on this. And this is the issue of speed or velocity. And that is the advent of 3D printers. And what they have done to change things. They're actually talking now today. I heard, I was listening to uh, a podcast of somebody who's in the sciences. And that's how I keep my hand in it, even though I haven't worked as a marine scientist for a good 30 years. I keep my hand in the sciences by paying attention, <coughs> excuse me, to a lot of the different scientists who are on the leading edge. They are now building a 3D printer using your tissue. They are talking about building. Now think about this. When you and I think about a printer, we're thinking about a printer, something that puts ink on paper. Now this is something that's almost like a 3D machining instrument. They're talking about putting your DNA in and building you new body parts. They're talking about that in five years, they'll have the ability to build a pancreas because most of you know is that if you, something goes wrong with your pancreas, you're dead. There is no transplanting it. There's nothing you can do about it. That's one of those certain if, you got, if you've been told you got pancreatic cancer, it's pretty certain you're going to die. What's going on around with this whole 3D printing or assembly or machining or whatever you want to call it is is radically changing the nature of production is that you can basically if you buy one of these machines and they start at about a thousand dollars depending upon its use 
you could create a factory in your garage if that was your inclination. Um, if you're if you're a uh, a bioengineering firm, you can start making body parts. And you know, basically, you don't have to go out and get permission. You don't have to go, you know, buy uh, assays from the government uh, on fetal cells to do the, the, you know, the work off the stems because no longer necessary. You go to somebody that says, you know what, my heart's not doing so good and I'm going to need a heart replacement in a year. I need a heart. So they take your cells and your cells know, even though the cells may be skin cells, embedded in the skin cell is the knowledge on how to beat a heart. All they got to do is trigger it and then suddenly they can build you a new heart. Now, Maybe I'm five years ahead of myself. Maybe this is not going to happen in 20 years. But the issue here is that if you look at it, how do I as a business owner radically change the game on location? How do I do that? How do I, how do I play Amazon? Um, or how do I radically change the business based on time? How do I FedEx the post office? Change everything about what's going on. Or how do I use the, the dimension of matter? How do I build soul into the products that I provide or in, this, or in this case, in the experience that people have in the purchase of what I have to offer? And then how do I use the issue of speed? And so the challenge for you, and it's going to be the challenge for us because we're going to have to take a perspective on this, is that what are those major corporations that have engaged in some of these. And what we're going to do in season four is that instead of giving you a how-to, because we, we basically have told out how to do everything. How, how do you how do you get to break even your 80%? You just go to the website, it's there. If you're at 15%, how do you make the moves to get to 5%? It's there. If you're at 5%, how do you sell the business or how do you reinvent yourself? It's there. This one is a little bit different because it's got to be out of the box. And what we got to do is we got to help you rethink how you look at the business because I can promise you that most of this is not capital intensive. This is more of changing the paradigm of how you look at the world. We used to look at the, the universe and say it revolves around the earth. It's exactly where you and your competitors are today with your customers. How do you become Galileo? How do you become somebody who looks at the data and goes, well, that's one explanation, but maybe I got a better one. And how do I play with the properties of location, time, matter, and velocity? And what we'll do is we we're gonna we're gonna feature six well-known companies who revolutionized business. And the goal there is not to tell you to copy. The goal there is to is to have you listen to it and go, well, you know, I could do that, and that's what it would look like with us. And those are the type of phone calls we'd like to get in season four on. Hey, this is what it looks like. So in my remaining minutes, as I, I close out, you know, I really am closing out season three and opening season four is that I've spent the last week uh, a little bit under the weather. You can tell by uh, the sound of my uh, nasal cavities. Um, but the beauty of that was that I had, I had a chance to put together a killer 2015 business plan. And I was applying the principles that we talked about, about how can I change location, time, matter, and velocity, or speed. How can I change those things in my business so I can change it up for the customer? And I would say to you is that 2015, er, by every indicator, 2015 may be the best year that we've had economically in the last seven, and it may be the best year that we're going to have going forward for a couple years. Um, 
Jack asked me uh, to comment on on uh, President Obama's economy, and I said it looked like he may have broke through. I also put some caveats on there. There's just some things that are also still distressing. But let's go with the good news is that 2015 may be a great business year. This is your opportunity uh, to get that done. And I'll think about it this way. You can come to us. You go to the website, richmondbizlive.com. You can go to the resources section, which will have some papers, white papers, some um, how-to materials you can download. And those are companion to, if you go to the shows, season one, two, three, and then four, and you'll be able to either download the podcast or you'll be able to listen to it live right there. But what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to help you make 2015 the year. So to all our listeners, I hope you had a great Hanukkah, great Christmas, great Kwanzaa. You're having, you're looking forward to a great 2015 wealth and prosperity. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.